All right, my friends, it is time once again for another apotheosizing episode of V8 Radio, Kevin. I'm I'm sorry. A, a, a what? <laughs> apotheosizing. Apotheosizing? Yes, sir. Meaning to glorify or deify. Holy mackerel! Well, right? Uh, yeah, they that, pulled that, that one out. <laughs> uh, well, and I guess the statement "holy mackerel" would be apotheosizing a mackerel. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that's well played. Yeah, that's serious. All right, on. <laughs> Congratulations on that. Thank you. Uh, Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm uh, your host Kevin Osti, joined as always by our esteemed co-host, Mr. Mike Hubal Clark, and uh, here we are once again, my friend, uh, at the helm of this. Uh, uh, podcast radio powerhouse that is just rocketed up the charts on iTunes into the top 20 for two consecutive weeks, as Casey Kasem would say. Yeah, how about that? That was that was really something. That still is really something. And we have our faithful listeners and new listeners to thank for that because, uh, you know, for the past couple of years, you and I have been playing it constantly on iTunes and it hasn't done jack for our rating. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> We're finally paying off, baby. Well, I mean, we went from like 163 to, to 21 and yeah. I think we've peaked at about 17. We're hanging out right in that area right now. So Yeah, yeah, we're doing well. I mean, there was a couple of times we weren't even on the charts. It was just kind of depressing. Like, man, we got to do something about this. Yeah, so we made this valiant effort by doing absolutely nothing different, and now here we are. <laughs> here we are. Here we are. <laughs> and you could do it too at home, kids. That's right. Follow our easy <laughs> if steps. We could do it. You could do it. Send nine ninety five for your free brochure <laughs> on how to exactly. crack the top twenty. <laughs> so yeah, no, that was super exciting. I, uh, I I couldn't believe that. So that's cool. Thank you everybody for listening. I still don't know what the metrics are and how you get to that point. Um, you know, the, the Apple podcast world doesn't let out any of their data. So that, you know, it's not like by mm-hmm. play counts, like on YouTube, for example, our, our VATV videos or a muscle car of the week, there's obviously a play count right there. So, you know, mm-hmm. know where you stand, but in this, you know, maybe they're listening. Maybe Apple says, Hey, that's, that's a good one. Let's, uh, let's give them a bump. Yeah. Thanks Apple. Yeah. Right on. Whoever you are. Man behind the curtain, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so that's cool. So we encourage people to um, to subscribe to that feed through Apple Podcasts or iTunes or whatever it is um, that you use because uh, who knows, you know, maybe we can crack the top 10 someday. Ooh, dare to dream. Yeah, well, you gotta, you know. Yeah, yeah, totally. What, what does Casey Kasem say? Keep your feet on the ground, but keep reaching for the stars. That's right. Or this uh, this mouse pad that that Kelly gave me. I don't know if you can read that. Yeah, at all. I see that. What is that? Shoot for the moon. Even if you miss, you will land among the stars. Right. Nice? Very nice. <laughs> Very nice. A very uh, interstellar approach. I think she bought that for herself, and I stole it. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, nice. Now that I reflect on that for a moment, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Note to self: return mouse pad. <laughs> <laughs> Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so what's happening, man? Well, uh, I I feel like kind of a, a fraud of a car, guys. I haven't done jack um, to my car lately. Um, 
I mean, I got to hang out with you uh, this this past weekend for a little bit. Um, yeah, that was fun. Town. That was that was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And um, with our good friend Nick Scavo and his wife Jenny. Yes, and and, uh, uh, and Eric, Eric von Berkham. Yeah, so yeah. that was fun, and <clears throat> I, I spent some time in Chicago over the weekend, like like Mike saying, and uh, that's where I'm from. And whenever I can, I try to meet up with you know friends, family, whatever, whatever I can. And, and this time, um, we all went out to uh, D'Agostino's Pizza in Wheeling, Illinois, which is owned by Jeff and Debbie D'Agostino. And Jeff, of course, was the world-renowned engine builder on Nick's drag race program for many, many years uh, at Fast Times Motorworks, which is now managed by our friend Graham Jones. So Jeff and Debbie uh, were out of town, so they weren't there. But uh, but we had fun. Yeah, we did have fun. <laughs> yeah, that's qu- quite a few stories out of Nick Scavo. That's what you get. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness! Uh, yeah, Nick. Um, How is that guy still alive? That is a great question, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and not just because you know the sport of uh, amateur drag racing can be dangerous. Luckily, he's never really wrecked, but his lifestyle for many years was even more dangerous. <laughs> far more dangerous. Far more dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Nick's the real deal, and. Uh, it's funny because some of the stories we're talking about, we're, we're a solid 25 years ago, you know, so it's not like mm-hmm. recent stuff. Right. But uh, Nick's an Italian guy that, that grew up on the north side of uh, Chicago and uh, had, some, uh, had some pretty uh, animated friends and <laughs> had, a, had a pretty robust nightlife. And... Uh, <laughs> At one point, that's a good uh, way to put it. Yeah, I, I've been working on that. Uh, <laughs> good. At one point, uh, he owned uh, owned a bar in Chicago, and um, you know he he still hangs out with a lot of those same guys. And uh, and yeah. yeah, yes, there were a lot of stories. Oof, I feel like I just got the tip of the iceberg. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and a lot of those, uh, and unfortunately, we can't really get into. <laughs> no, I'm not sure if the statute of limitations has expired yet. <laughs> no, but it's uh, <laughs> suffice it to say, you know, he, he can he can definitely go uh, at least one for one on any drag racing story versus carousing story uh, in his repertoire. So he's yeah. fun to hang out. I, I would agree with that. Yeah. The thing I thought was kind of funny is uh, his wife Jenny was with us and. I don't know if you noticed, but she was actually recording a few of those. Was she really? Yeah, yeah. She mentioned that uh, her oh, iPhone. Oh, that's right. She was. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, and and the funny thing is, is you know, she records these uh, because they're great stories and, and they're funny, um, but they don't change. You know, it's the same thing. So you know, they're true. It's not like right. They're not fish stories true. that grow longer and longer. But uh, right. Yeah. If it's a real bona fide story that really happened, typically. All the details stay the same. Everything, there's no wandering off the path into embellishment. If it's real, it's real. Right. Unlike this show. <laughs> this show is very <laughs> hypothesizing. Yeah. It wanders off the path of embellishment. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're, yeah. We're as straight as an arrow. Yeah, yeah. Kidding me? <clears throat> well, the, the good thing is, uh, you, for those who don't know who Nick Scavo is, he, he's one of the uh, uh, early... Um, I mean, he's been a drag racer and a car guy his whole life. His day job legitimately is a an appliance repairman, uh, yeah. and uh, second generation family business. 
uh, that his dad started. But um, Nick was big in the 10 and a half inch tire NMCA classes, the super street classes, if you will, and then advanced mm -hmm. into some of the outlaw type drag racing classes. I think he's been, oh, mid sixes at 229, 230 miles an hour in the quarter. In a in a '65 Impala. No, actually, that wasn't the Impala. That was um, a '92 Camaro bodied. Uh, oh. uh, the purple car, kind of a tribute to a, a car that Chuck Samuel Samuel used to drive. The Impala went 830s uh, on the Still. bumper uh, at full Amazing. weight, full size. Yeah, yeah, that thing was ridiculous. Amazing. Yeah, and we're gonna have a. Um, we're going to be releasing our NMCA Legends Roundtable discussion from the PRI show uh, very mm -hmm. soon. And Nick was a big part of that and told some great stories. So uh, we encourage that. Right on. Yeah. yeah. But, but you know, before we get too far off of our uh, wandering path, uh, we have some, some steady business we have to attend to. That yes. Would be, that would be trivia, my friend. That is correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of there not, must not, be not wandering off the path. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to throw it out there and say that, you know, ever since we cracked the top 20, we are no longer responsible for the content of the show. <laughs> it's, it's, hands are up. Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> yeah, hands are out both windows at this point. Uh, so <laughs> did you uh, prepare some trivia? Because I, I have some. Yeah. Uh, well, I better have. I'm the one who brought the damn thing up. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I got some trivia. All right. I'm going back to uh, Pontiac land on this one, my friend. Mm. Um, you've no doubt heard of um, uh, Mac McKellar, who was a, a Pontiac uh, engine, uh, well, motor engineer, chief motor engineer for Pontiac from the 60s through the 80s until he retired. And... He drove around in a 1963 Grand Prix, um, and he had that car up until he passed away. Uh, what was so special about this 63 Grand Prix? Oh, man. That is a great question, and this is a story that I heard a long time ago, and I think I've largely forgotten. Mm -hmm. we'll, make you, we'll scratch your brain and get it out. Yeah, so of that era... Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but this was this was special to his alone. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Correct. Um, rat farts. <laughs> that is not the correct answer, Kevin. It could have been. Jeez, uh, yeah. I, I don't know. So in the early days of those, uh, you know, in the, in the early 60s, Things that made some of the Pontiac special were lightweight parts, you know, some of the racing, mm -hmm. Swiss cheese frames, aluminum stuff, that right. uh, Super Duty 421 engine, uh, all that kind of jazz. Uh, but I don't think that was it on this one, and I honestly don't remember. But mm. it, for the sake of throwing something against the wall, all right, I will say his was turbocharged. Turbocharged, you say? Yeah. All right. Kevin says turbo. Okay. And I'm admitting I'm out to dry on that one, so. It's all right. It's all right. I'm drier than you, so don't well, worry about that. <laughs> I mean, uh, so in that situation, for, for, the, for the inside scoop on my strategy, I, I go with something that could have been possible. 
as being very, mm. you know, something unique to the time period. Mm. They're dabbling in it. Yeah. This, this guy's a the motor guy. Could have been. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That could have been possible. Yeah. That could have happened. And maybe it did. Maybe, maybe. We'll find out at the end yeah. of the show, kids. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I'll throw one right back at you. Um, right. In what year oh, boy. was cruise control offered for the first time? And on what car for the bonus? Ooh. Ooh. That's a... That is a good question. Mm, that yeah. is good. Um, and it, it does come with a really killer story that uh, you're going to want to hang around to hear at the end when we reveal. Yeah, I, I know that there, that cruise control was an option on the 1967 GTO. Um, so it was... Of course, I, everything, I, frame everything in the form of a GTO. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all I know, man. <laughs> Damn it. Oh, Lord. Um <clears throat> All right, uh, so I, I know that it was it was before then, because um, I because GM doesn't like to do anything first; they do things after it was released. Um, wait, 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 what? 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 GM doesn't like to be the innovator. GM does not. Correct. Historically, they have not been the innovator. They they will see others do it, and then they will follow suit. That's an interesting concept. Mm-hmm. I'm probably totally way wrong on that, but that's well, what I, I mean, I, I, I uh, I'm trying to think of some examples. I mean, they were the the first with bucket seats, as we learned in a previous uh, episode, right? Mm. Uh, first uh, with that pull-out radio and auto dimming yeah. headlights and. Well, I'll be editing this portion of the show out. <laughs> I'm not saying they were first with everything. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, but that's an interesting thought. That might be a kind of a fun homework assignment to see uh, if it's true that they let somebody else test the waters and then mm-hmm. brought it to their market. Hmm. All right, uh, but uh, In- cruise control what was the. Mm. Uh-huh. I'm gonna say, um, I don't have much else to base this on. I'm gonna say nine. 19- 1947 hmm. in and I, I'm this is uh, totally uh, going against my previous statement, but I'll say in a Cadillac. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, doofus. <laughs> they don't innovate, but this time maybe they did. Maybe once. 1947 Cadillac, immediate. Post World War II car. Yep. Forty-seven. Uh, that's when uh, Harley Earl started getting all wound up about airplane tails on mm. Cadillacs. Mm-hmm. The yeah. Buick, uh, what uh, port events? Or what were they called? They were Ventiports. So that Ventiports. <laughs> that but uh, backwards. Port. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very, very good. Scratch that. Reverse it. Uh, okay, 1947 Caddy first for cruise yeah. control. We shall see. That could be it. Yeah, I'm 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 pretty curious about this and hearing the story about it. So it's a cool story. Away we go. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny you mentioned uh, <clears throat> kind of that 40s era 
We recently brought in a pretty cool car in the shop, a 1941 Ford five window. So really? it's a two door coupe with a mm -hmm. five window treatment or, you know, three around the back. And, yeah. uh, being a 41, um, this is kind of a problem child for restorers and whatnot, because it was an entirely new car basically for 41. Really? Yeah. Uh, the 40, 40 Ford is one of the hallmark designs, uh, you know, 37, 8940. Awesome looking car, great curves, great front grill treatment and all that jazz, right. kind of a pointed nose. Um, you can buy just about everything you need today for a, you know, new for a 40, but you can't, mm. can't get very much for a 41. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. And, yeah. They look pretty similar, um, but... You know, 41 was the year that uh, the United States entered World War II, so oh, yeah. that, that, that ended 41 production pretty early. So I don't even know how many they made, you know. Of course, the war started at the end of 41, and uh, uh, right. for us anyway, and uh, mm -hmm. uh, production. There is 42s and 3s out there, too. But it was the beginning of the big scale down as, as our, our country shifted into wartime production. Right. Mm -hmm. making B-29s instead of 41 Fords. So this car, um, it's got a, a power window uh, retrofit aftermarket oh. deal and uh, had some issues with the weather strip around the windows and it didn't fit right and stuff didn't, didn't work very well. So the customer brought it to us to straighten that stuff out. But it was kind of neat. You know, he was telling me about, uh, you know, wartime Ford products. And really? It's pretty fascinating stuff yeah. oh that's interesting yeah 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 uh i don't know what it is i mean this past weekend you, you know you and i spent some time together the the afternoon before we met up i was staying with my cousin and we got su uh -huh. sucked into a uh, a world war ii uh south pacific theater all original footage in color marathon on, on the smithsonian channel and, you know, one of those deals where it's like, oh, yeah, we'll flip this on. And next thing you know, it's yeah. six half hour episodes later and, and nobody, <laughs> yeah. nobody moved, you know, <laughs> it was, uh, just, should we order a pizza? <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, I mean, I almost missed our dinner. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I was like, oh, man, just just five more minutes. I want to know how this war ends. Well, yeah, right. Well, <laughs> the interesting thing about this particular show is apparently the Smithsonian has in their archives uh, personal films, personal uh, color home movies, essentially, that uh, haven't been broadcast before. No kidding. Yeah, even now. And and uh, that's what this particular series was largely made up of. And when I say home movies, it's not like civilians, you know, like you and I. This was right. um, personal film that where they, they hired a, a Marine uh, a cameraman or a, an Army film guy mm -hmm. to follow right. maybe a certain officer around as he went and did okay. a few things. And, and that guy... Some of those guys were actually landing on the beach and, you know, oh, wow. in, in full on active combat. And that's the, wow. the footage that they had. And it was, uh, it was beautiful. I mean, the, the color and, the, and the, the photography and everything. Right. The subject material is another story, but uh, it was cool. Yeah. Kind of like, uh, like your first embedded reporter. Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. and that was interesting because they, um, 
back then they were very selective on what the the press got to use and what the public got mm-hmm. to see. You know, sure. today we're used to everybody has a camera in their phone and, and right. you you can you could jump on YouTube and type in any link any single spot on the planet right now and get footage. You know, and see something. Yeah, yeah agreed. It. Yeah, even soldiers that are in in the Middle East now. They wear cameras on their helmets, and they and they record everything. Right, and every not, encounter. It's and amazing. Not, not just soldiers, you know, people that are riding or walking right. down the street or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but back then, obviously, the technology wasn't there, but they didn't have the permission because they weren't quite sure. At that point, the public had never seen war. That's a good point. Yeah, you know, it really wasn't until Vietnam that war hit the television screens. It was. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mostly newsreels, you know, they would see something. But sure. newsreels were usually more of a propaganda, rah, rah, hey, look at us taking over this hill and we're winning. Right. Now uh, go buy some war bonds. Right. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and some of this footage was the real deal. It's bodies floating in the bay and the whole beach oh, is yeah. red and, you know, it's all that stuff. And uh, I, according to this episode, uh, some of this footage got out and... Um, FDR allowed some of this stuff to be seen, uh, I guess, in newsreels, but some of the non, the non-happy footage, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, as an attempt to try to make that war effort more real for the people stateside. You know, trying to point out that th- this is happening, you need to support right. it. And I think for the most part, the United States was quite supportive in the in their efforts in World War II. Oh yeah, um, with with rationing and um, you know your Victory Garden and you know, recycling and, and, uh, and, and all that. So, yeah, I mean, the whole, I think that was probably one of the last times that the entire country was really behind the war effort. Oh, yeah. Um, and it was quite a, quite a change uh, in Vietnam when, you know, the country really turned on itself and, and, and its soldiers. And, you know, the treatment that they got coming back was, was just horrifying. Um. I remember when I came back from Saudi Arabia during the Gulf War, I, I didn't know what to expect. And I got off the plane. We flew back commercial, and I was in my uniform, and I got off the plane. And there were people just at the at the gateway just waiting for us to come off. And they, everyone was throwing up signs, welcome home, and they were applauding. Really? And it was a really neat feeling. Yeah, it was great. I'm like, this is amazing. I mean... This time the country was really behind this effort as well uh, during during the Gulf War. Um, number one, it was it was a very short campaign. Um, there was very little loss of life. It was, mm-hmm. I mean, overwhelmingly positive for the United States in its victory over Iraq and getting Saddam Hussein out of power and getting um, and freeing Kuwait again. But uh, yeah, it was it was it was a, quite an experience coming home to that. Yeah, and it's funny the the Gulf War for me was like an all television war, you know. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was televised twenty four seven. Like CNN broadcast it nonstop. Yeah, that that I think was what helped launch CNN. Yeah, uh, was that for sure. that coverage? And uh, I was uh, at the time. Uh, so what are we talking? Ninety ninety one. Yeah. Uh, I was just out of high school and, and going to college, and I remember being on summer break, and uh, the guys that I was working with uh, were older than I am. One was a, a Marine, and uh, another guy had done some time in the Army, and they're both like, you're going, you're going <laughs> to the Middle East, 
you know, and I'm like, no, I'm just a college kid, you know, and <laughs> no, you're going to, they're going to, you're going, man, they're going to draft you. And I'm like, is there even a draft? You know, I, had, no. I, was, I was lost. And then like you, an hour and a half later, it was over. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. That was, that was unbelievable. How quick that turned. Yeah. How quickly that turned over. It was un- amazing. It really was. And people didn't know if you were, I mean, at, at that time, you still had to re- register for selective service. I don't right. even know if you still have to anymore. But um, Well, I did. I know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, darn right you did. Oh, they yeah. come oh, get yeah. you. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, <clears throat> it's interesting looking at the the automotive ramifications of all this stuff because, you know, if you think of what happened in World War II, you know, Buick was making airplane engines and bombers and Ford was mm-hmm. making tanks and, and uh, all the, the regular, uh, you know, manufacturers that are making not just cars, but day-to-day products all switched over to making stuff for the war. And, yeah. and when you say that, it's like, oh yeah, in the history books, oh, then they all switched over to making stuff for the war. No, no, no let's think about that today. The, the equivalent would be if uh, Amazon quit retailing parts on, you know, stuff online and, and right. started only using their shipping and their logistics and everything to send munitions overseas and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, and the concept, you know, like all of GM and Ford shutting down today, can't buy a Mustang anymore. They're out of production, can't buy right. an Explorer because now they're making things for the war. And I know that the, you know, the war technology is so much different today. It's mm-hmm. mostly air-based and, and, you know, we don't have, uh, you know, 250,000 tanks at a time going out and <laughs> just <Yeah>. g- giant <laughs> masses of, of mechanical stuff, which is, which is good. Uh, a lot of our stuff is high-tech warfare now. So, mm-hmm. but I, I can't imagine, you know, like us in our shop, if, if we were tapped, if the, if the government said, hey, we got a problem and we need you to, you know, to quit working on that 41 Ford and... And on that 67 GTO, and because your skill set allows you guys to build these things, that's what you're going to do. Um, I mean, I never investigated what the financial ramifications were that uh, were of that. So did the government just start commissioning Ford to, you know, they're obviously paying them something, you know? Sure. Right. Yeah, so, I'm sure they were. I'm sure they were, they prob- were probably treated like a contractor. Because they had that infrastructure in place already, yeah, yeah, which made it ideal for for instead of making automobiles, making tanks or building like Willow Run facility, building airplanes and 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 artillery and 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 the like. Um, I mean, general yeah. those companies didn't just build airplanes out of the generosity of their hearts, you know. Right. Yeah, that's e- true. Even though their country depended on it, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't realize, yeah. you know. The, the United States, you know, today the United States likes to brag about being the world superpower and all the rest. But in those days, we weren't sure how we were going to do this stuff. This was right. learning on the fly here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's pretty fascinating. And I recently learned, and I don't know all the details, so I can't say too much about it. Although, when has that ever stopped me before on this show? <laughs> Let's hear it, baby. Let's hear it. <laughs> uh, but I hear there's some people that... Uh, are still to this day um, anti-Ford because Henry Ford sued the U.S. government after World War II because uh, there was a Ford of Germany operation and Ford of Europe, and a lot of his stuff got destroyed by U.S. forces. 
<laughs> oh boy. And he turned around and sued him for a loss of production or some, you know, something wow. like that. Yeah. And hmm. uh, the little I read, and again, uh, I don't, I can't say with authority, so don't, don't take this as truthful. Yeah. Um, as gospel. Right. But, but the little I read suggested that uh, part of Ford's contract was in violation and that he was owed extra from the government in some way. And maybe that's what that suit was all about. Um, and not just mm. lost Ford car sales kind of thing. But, you know, there were a whole bunch of companies that operated around the world that could you imagine the position that those guys were in? You know, you're, you're working for an American company in, in Germany, for example. Right. <laughs> and all of a sudden you're now at war with your, company's parent country and right i mean i guess there, there would be a um a risk of of your company being nationalized by that country where it is which has happened in, in communist uh, countries as well um and and that's it it's gone it's not yours anymore right it belongs to the fatherland <laughs> yeah well i mean and i guess in our case here in the u.s the the capitalists i guess were selling those tanks to the government and keeping ownership of the company, uh -huh. but their production line changed. So, you know, what if the, you know, Hitler's forces took over that Ford of Germany plant and said, now you're going to make Messerschmitts. Right. And what would Ford say? You know, it's like, no, 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 that, that's ours. But yeah. Yeah. Very yeah, interesting. It's amazing what a, a show of force can do to change a person's mind. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, no, that's ours. <laughs> yeah. As a matter of fact, we're prove it to you. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So yeah, all that's kind of interesting uh, uh, to see how that stuff shook out. But um, at any rate, it's a. It, 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 to me, it's neat. It's history. It's it's pretty cool to see. Um, and especially you know, as I get older, uh, I remember growing up. At that point, you know, World War II was ancient ancient history and, mm. and i couldn't even believe that there was any storyline to it i didn't know mm. that that we knew what happened it seemed like we didn't even know because you'd turn on the tv and there might be some old war film on and it's black and white grainy stuff and they're right. talking about these troops moving in over here and, and as a kid i'm like how, how do they even know there was so much going mm. on you know and the older i got it's like no no, no we know exactly everything that happened uh, yeah. Very well documented, and it's just so yeah. so far fetched today that I, you can't even conceive of something like that ever happening again. Uh, mm -hmm. Which I guess is good, you know. Yeah, let's hope something like that never happens again. That was that's a pretty awful stuff. Uh, yeah, it was horrible. You know, and, you know uh, Hollywood's good at romanticizing that stuff, but when you get down to it, it's pretty horrific stuff. Oh yeah, it was it was completely awful, and yeah. and I'm you know I'm glad that that's not you know, not perceived as a viable option anymore. Right. Uh, you know, the world certainly has its problems, but it's, uh, it's not putting everything against everybody. Mm -hmm. Although, you know, social media seems to try. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Yes. Mm, yes, yeah. that's correct. Yeah. That is correct, sir. Yeah. So, boy, that, that was a fun tangent, getting off the beaten path of what, whatever you yeah. said in the beginning. That was a good tangent. <laughs> It all started with Nick Scavo. Yeah, see what happens? Yeah, down, <laughs> yeah. downhill. We're going to go Nick. Downhill from there. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm pretty excited. Our friends over at the Round Six podcast, Brian Stupski and yeah. Brad King and those guys, um, 
recent, I haven't heard it yet, but they, uh, they just did an episode with Larry Erickson. And Larry Erickson was a GM designer. He still is a, a car designer, and he's the guy that designed Cadzilla. Yeah. And they had him on as a guest. And uh, uh, I, oh, nice. I spoke with Brian Stupski today, as a matter of fact, and uh, he was telling me that that was a pretty cool show. So I definitely want to check that out. Um, and uh, I recommend everybody tuning into the round six. It's uh, It can get a little chaotic, but it's a lot of fun. It's a good show. It is a good show. Yeah, I enjoy listening to it for sure. Yeah, yeah. And <clears throat> me and my obsession with all things Cadzilla. I, I've met Erickson in the past. I, I can't say for a second that he knows who I am. Uh, but I always wanted to uh, sit back and, and chat with him about that car. And that car is not only in my opinion, the, the quintessential custom, but it, just as a design element, it still grabs those late 40s design elements and streamlines them and stretches them up perfectly. Yeah. It's a, it's a masterpiece. It's, it is, it's a beautiful, beautiful car. Yeah. My goodness. So I don't know if he talked about it in their, um, in their podcast, but I'll, I'll, I'll wait and see. Yeah. When's it, when's it due out? Do we know? Is um, it out already? It, it actually might be out already. I just, I'm behind on a bunch of stuff. Um, uh-huh. Trying to... That's not like you. <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing to do, you know, so... Yeah, no, it's thumbs <laughs> all day, all day. That's right, that's right. Uh-huh. Yeah. You got another pretty interesting project. Didn't we touch on this last time that, uh, that 60, was it, uh, the Metro, the International oh, yeah. Metro? Yeah, the 61 Metro. That, that is, that's now kind of in high gear, which is cool. Um, yeah. What ended up happening there is, uh, I don't remember how much we talked about before, but we elected to flop the body onto a, a Chevy Tahoe frame. Mm-hmm. And uh, initially we we're thinking about, putting an LS engine in it and adding better brakes and whatnot uh, because this is going to be used as a pizza delivery catering truck in Chicago mm-hmm. when it's done. And uh, our team, uh, Trevor and Tyler and Rod and some of the guys in the shop really kind of wrapped their mind around it and took some measurements and found out that the Tahoe is almost the exact same wheelbase and the chassis design is such that you could put a flat box truck on one of those and it would work. So I happened to be uh, surfing the Craigslists and uh, mm-hmm. found uh, a pretty nice, uh, oh, I think it's an 02 uh, Tahoe for sale. It got, mm-hmm. uh, it got bumped in the door just a bit, and um, a body shop was going to part it out. And mm-hmm. I contacted them and said, you know, how complete is this thing? And they said, well, it's complete except for the transmission right now. 130,000 miles on it. Uh, they sent me a video of it running. It runs like a top. So nice. we scored that uh, uh, pretty pretty well, I think. Um, I think it was a couple of grand. And uh, we had to put a new transmission in it, which was something that we had planned on doing to this project no matter what. Okay. And uh, the guys brought it into the shop, and and we we got our new transmission and installed it in the Tahoe, and then drove the Tahoe around to evaluate how the chassis was and brakes and all that stuff rather than move everything to the new truck and then try to figure it out. Right. So we learned that had a bad tie rod and the brakes are a little squishy, but other than that, it's in good shape. Um, Nice. So the past couple days, uh, Trevor has gotten the 
the body uh, off the Metro and the chassis out. And when I left today, uh, the Tahoe chassis is under the Metro and the Metro body is sitting on it. Is it really? Yeah. And it, uh, it looks really nice. good. Yeah. So there's now there's the tedium of kind of connecting the dots and moving some uh -huh. body mounts. And, uh, one of the, one of the bigger challenges is going to be, um, moving the the brake pedal uh you know the the tahoe has the master cylinder on the firewall like a typical modern vehicle and on the metro it was under the floor so we, right. you know we got to change something i think we're gonna we're gonna move the pedal rather than move the braking system down okay um again on this particular vehicle this isn't a show truck it's a it's going to be a mm -hmm. daily driven delivery truck so right. anything we can do to keep that chassis as true to form as a GM Chevrolet Tahoe, sure. the more serviceable it's going to be down the line. Right. Uh, so, you know, we don't need him having a master cylinder failure and then, you know, it's a one-off custom piece that he can't, you know, repair. So, yeah. which you that see. That would be bad. <laughs> yeah. You see people do that. They over-engineer stuff without considering, you know, how's this going to work later on. Yeah. Uh, and, and one thing that our team always tries to do is uh, undo the frustrations that we have with some of the factory engineers, you know, where they, mm. you, you say, who the heck put this next to this? You can't get a wrench on it or, you know, that I got to drop the engine just to change the spark plug. Oh my God, who thought of this? Yeah. I still think the best one is the Caddy North Star engine that's got the starter underneath the intake <laughs> manifold. Amen. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we're trying not to do that stuff um, as this comes together. But um, I'm, you know, it isn't going to be long to where uh, that thing's going to be running around. So it's very cool. That is very cool. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing more progress on that. It's exciting that the chassis, that the the body's on the chassis now. Yeah, I dig that. And again, it's not, you know, installed, but it's right. It's been. Uh, he had to move a couple of floor supports around and, and trim a few things away, and, and it's kind of, oh. it's kind of home. So nice, yeah. and it looks right. Oh yeah, yeah, it looks great. Um, it's funny because this Tahoe we bought, you know, we call them the the mall crawler. It had like twenty inch chrome wheels that are low oh, profile, knobby, you know, mall crawling tires. Uh, no, he didn't. <laughs> oh, criminy. So <laughs> those are already sold, and and. Um, in fact, our, our body man, Tim, we mentioned last time, I think he's going to buy them for a project, that, his truck that he's working on, which will look fine on that thing. They don't look really good on a 61 Metro. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, uh, Go figure. Yeah, our, our mission is to find some, <laughs> some steelies that we can paint body color because that's what the Metro had um, right. that fit that Tahoe GM truck pattern and offset and all that uh -huh. jazz so be a few parts to buy but um right. i think we paying can paying attention what's that sorry i said paying attention to the proper offset and backspace of your wheels when you insert them correct that is correct i, I heard i saw a video on that recently i forget where where i saw it but yeah it's pretty informative well i'm glad you liked it uh <laughs> you're referring to a video that we just finished up for forge line as a matter of fact and and they're getting ready to release that shortly so uh a nice video on uh, on how to mm. properly measure the uh, backspace and offset. Hopefully, we pay mm. attention when we do it. <laughs> and then I had a, you know had a little fun with the Metro chassis, which uh, is now for sale. 
don't know if you saw my my Facebook picture of me, uh, you know. Yeah, land speed record. Yeah, surfing that thing. Um, <laughs> that's and funny. That's going to hopefully go to somebody who is, you know, trying to restore one of those things because it's a, it's a nice chassis, you know, and the engine yeah, ran really good. It looked good in the picture. Yeah. I mean, it looked pretty rust-free and straight and yep, yep. all that, so. Yeah, that that should that should be well used. Yeah, so if you know anybody mm-hmm. who wants to buy a mildly wrecked Tahoe body, I have a good <laughs> <laughs> Sands chassis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I have a pretty good one for sale. And, and, <laughs> oh you know, man. We had the conversation today. Uh, the customer value is the drive line, obviously. He doesn't really care about the right. bo- body of this thing. And right. um, it's like, well, it's got you know, good front sheet metal and passenger doors are nice and the rear door and all the lenses and stuff. And it's like, we could take this thing apart and sell all those pieces and we'll never get the money back out of it. So no, it's just far too much time. Yeah, it would take you 100 years to sell everything. Yeah, so uh, we're trying to find somebody who has a wrecked one or something that needs the whole thing. And uh, I see. we'll put our forklift to the test and see if we can get that sucker loaded on somebody else's flatbed and off it goes. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. And and that's kind of a a conversation we have. Sometimes customers end up getting so much work done that we're we you know, we're left over with a you know, half a garage full of parts, you know, that came off a particular car. And uh, you know, sometimes they're like, Yeah, you could just sell all that stuff on eBay and it's like uh, I I don't think I can, you know. Who wants to manage that? Right. I mean, come on. Yeah. Sometimes you know you'll find some decent stuff. So, mm-hmm. but that's a that's a conversation to have. You know, if you take the car somewhere and have them restore it, uh, what's going to happen to the old stuff? Because a lot of times the customer doesn't want it back. You know, but it still has some value. So what do you do? We actually donate quite a bit of it to um, tech schools. We have a few local tech schools. Oh, really? So they get that's, uh, that's a great idea. Yeah, we can engines and carburetors and transmissions and you know that kind of stuff that they can. Uh, rebuild and, oh, and learn tinker from. with and rebuild and learn that's great yeah right on good yeah. for you guys yeah we try yeah well speaking of more good for you guys i don't know if you've uh, I, don't, I don't think you've announced this yet but uh the v8 speed wrestle shop has expanded yet again into more yeah. space yeah we're we're very fortunate um we have and uh, uh kelly kind of spearheaded this project and this is something that actually started five years ago this isn't like mm. a, a spur of the moment thing but um, as we moved into our current location from the original V8 shop, which was out on a farm, uh, the day we... I still, never, I still will not believe that you restored cards out of that. Well, you've seen the, the TV shows and videos, and you were there. So, I mean... <laughs> <clears throat> I still can't believe it, even though I saw it with my own eyes. Well, it's like the first <laughs> time kids in Chicago went to see the Bozo Circus. You know, it seemed like such a big, right. bigger thing. Um, uh-huh. But in, uh, in 2013, we moved from the, the farm to our current facility and, uh, you know, quadrupled at least our, our space and Easily. added on and, and whatnot. And uh, the, the gentleman that owned the building also owned a collision shop, the immediate next door building, just right next to it. Mm-hmm. And, and he told us back in 13, he said, it's my five-year plan for you guys even though you're just moving in today to grow into that building next door. And he was going to take his collision business and move on. 
And, mm-hmm. and I said, can you let me put this box down? I mean, we're not even here yet. <laughs> and it was kind of, kind of far-fetched. Uh, but but that, that idea never left Kelly, and, and we all thought about it. And luckily, we've been um, uh, busy enough to, uh, you know, I, I think for the last couple of years, we've been uh, too tight with our space. You know, we try to oblige customers and bring as many cars in as we can, but our technicians sometimes needed more space to work, um, and, and that was a legitimate thing. So... And the other thing was the body shop building has uh, a, a much nicer paint booth than we had. And uh, it's a, a blow therm, downdraft, you know, full bake booth. And uh, we've been able to do some dynamite work. Our, our painter, Jeff, has done some brilliant work in, in the booth that we have. But for some of the uh, bigger overall cars, we had a good relationship with that shop and we were mm-hmm. able to bring them next door and paint them there and bake them and all that stuff so we've been using that facility for a number of years uh but it it finally became available so uh yes we we took the leap kelly spearheaded the whole thing and uh as of today we are uh that that (laughs) that metro body came off the chassis in that building as a matter of fact is that right yeah yeah oh very cool and uh we're going through and and doing a bunch of maintenance on things um all new filters and lines in the paint booth and stuff to really, mm-hmm. really make it, uh, you know, a clean output product and dust free as possible and make sure everything works the way it's supposed to. Uh, we put a new compressor in and, and uh, cleaned everything up real nice. And that's going to be our bodywork, paint, wet sand, buff and assembly area primarily over there. And uh, at the end of the day, the, the people that benefit again are going to be the customers because we'll be mm-hmm. able to give them uh, an even better quality uh, uh, product with their paint finishes with mm-hmm. far less, um, you know, potential for fixes and dust and little things. Uh, at the end of the day, everything we do gets wet sanded and buffed um, because that's part of the key to making them glass flat. So, right. you know, that, that stuff's still going to happen, but it's going to be a nicer ride to get there for sure. So. Very nice, very nice. Yeah, yeah, I'm stoked about this. Congratulations. Thank you. It's it's been a it's been a process, and like I said, Kelly handled most of it, and um, it was kind Boy, of Boy, Kelly. Kelly only looks forward, man. She doesn't look backwards, does no, she? No, no, no. She yeah. does not. And and again, it was uh, uh, a huge benefit to the to the team because now they can spread out. So our, our we used to have the metal shop and the body shop in one building um, in the back. And uh, the metal shop is now expanding and doubling its size to take, you know, over the old body shop side. <clears throat> and then the cool. body and paint side now has more room. So you'll be able to step away from the cars a little bit more. And, and um, you know, of course, me, uh, I see open space and kind of panic thinking, you know, we need to get more stuff in here. And Kelly's like, no, that's not, <laughs> that's not the purpose. <laughs> that is not why we did this, mister. <laughs> no, we, we want to uh, uh, enhance and improve the experience uh, for, the, for the crew uh, just as much as for the, the customer's cars. Because if they're more comfortable, uh, you know, everything's going to be better. So it's great. Yeah. Yeah, that is great. Yeah, take she, care of your employees. They will take care of your customers, man. Well, that's that's the whole idea, you know. So all day long, uh, we mm-hmm. can't stress enough, you know, how, how great of a team we have, and and they're all excited to to get moved in into their different, you know, 
new digs in some cases mm -hmm. and, and we're, you know, letting them set things up the way they want, you know, that that's going to be most efficient and, uh, and comfortable. And, and so they, they have a, you know, in some sense, kind of a piece of ownership of the whole place. Uh, we're, we're not the kind of people that walk through and dictate how everything has to be. You know, if, if mm -hmm. some, you know, if the fabricator, it's his, his space, you know, man, let's make it how yeah. he likes it. You know, as long as, yeah. it's, you know, it's not ridiculous. Like it needs to have a, you know, a swimming pool or something, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> luckily nobody's made that request yet. <laughs> not a good idea to weld in a swimming pool, you know? <laughs> yeah. I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. It's a Roger Miller song, I think. Um, <laughs> so yeah, no, it's all good. And, um, again, I, I can't, my hat's off to, to Kelly for being able to, uh, to manage this stuff and, and, and get it together and, and make it all happen. And the fun thing for us too, is, uh, for the first time we worked with a local bank in, um, in Redbud, Illinois, where our shop is, uh, mm -hmm. as opposed to a national branch that we have been working with in the past. And the local guys and gals were wonderful. They, they cruised right through it. They knew what we did. They were happy to see us grow. They, they understand that we bring, you know, people into town to work every day and customers in mm -hmm. and out. And they were like, this is great. How can we help? So that's awesome. It was, man, that's how, that's how things are supposed to work. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. It still hasn't really set in yet. Um, because things, things take a while for me to set it. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll, we'll uh, if you notice, um, here's the inside tip. If you look at some of the photographs, if there is a an interior half red wall from the the belt line down, that's in the uh -huh. new new place. That's that color. So, okay. A couple of weeks ago, we posted a picture of an orange '71 Camaro. Uh, yeah, that was in the new building. So, I kind of thought so. I thought I'm, I'm yeah. looking at it. I'm like, I don't think that's. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's the old, quote, old shop. That's sure. got to be the new place. Well, primarily because you couldn't get that far away from a car. Because <laughs> <laughs> we had everything, well, that. everything jammed in, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, man. Yeah. Um, you know, one more real quick thing. Um, I see that SEMA released that Gene Winfield interview that you did at... Uh, at the SEMA Central stage. Yeah, yeah. Did you watch it? Yeah, heck yeah, I watched it. I was I was salty. I didn't get to see it in person. I, I'm not sure if if I was on the floor or it happened after I split at the leave. Yeah, but, uh, I don't remember but, exactly what day that was. I think that that might have been on Friday morning. So I think you were. Yeah, already... I was. I was gone by then. Then I think. But um, but yeah, that's what a story. Oh yeah, that guy. Yeah, he's incredible um, and a super nice guy, uh, right? And just ultra generous with his time, you know, and and just wants to help everybody. Um, as I said in that interview, I've I've known him twenty years or so, and and he was the same back then when he was only in his seventies, <laughs> <laughs> as he is now in his nineties. And if we, you know, you do recall that we uh, we shared another video earlier when he broke his hip. Um, you're right. He was in Finland and, and wiped out, broke his hip. And there was kind of, there was a GoFundMe to help him get special transport back to the U S on a medical flight. And, uh, uh, we helped throw a little bit of money there and spread that word around. 
And I did not expect him at all to be at SEMA because he had just gotten back to the United States a day and a half before. And I was on stage doing the SEMA Central thing. And next thing I know, I see this cart rolling up, you know, this uh, rascal with a rascal on it. I'm like, hey, that's me and Gene right there, you know. And, um, and, and I say that as total irony because there's nothing mean about the guy, you know. Right, right. And the SEMA Central stage is on a pretty rigid time schedule throughout the day. And we we're just getting ready to uh, do an interview with Chris Kirsting, who's the CEO of SEMA. And uh, I told Chris, I'm like, uh, I know you're up. And I know in order to reschedule Chris, you got to go through like 12 different people. You know, it's just his schedule is out of control, especially at the SEMA show. Oh, boy. Yeah. I said, you know, I'm not trying to cause a problem here, but do you see that guy over there just rolled up? And and he's like, yeah. And I said, it's this Gene Winfield. And I told him a little bit of the story. And he's like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, you know, he said, I'll wait. Get him up on stage. Mm -hmm. And I said, that... That's unbelievably generous of you, but um, let me find out if he's a little flexible because I know yours isn't, and and I know he right. had to be somewhere. So we, we quickly did uh, Kirsting's interview, and then afterwards, Chris walked over to Gene and introduced himself and said, uh, hey, thank you for coming out and, and being here at the show, and, uh, uh, you know, Kevin wanted to bring you up on stage if you have a minute, and, and Gene's like, yeah, yeah, I, I got a minute. And uh, Gene goes, so, uh, so, so what do you do again? <laughs> <laughs> and Chris goes, uh, I, I, I'm with Seema, you know. And he's like, all right, yeah. well, thanks, thanks for, you know, for putting the show on. I'm like, and, and, and I thought that <laughs> I was take really out the cool. garbage. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was pretty cool, too, that, uh, you know, Chris is, is such a personable, regular guy, too, uh, who just happens to be, you know, the big shot at, at the big show. Right. So, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, so Gene's in this scooter. Uh, I'm thinking, how are we going to do this? Because we didn't have a, a, an accessibility ramp to get mm-hmm. up on that stage. And, and in the past, there's one available if we schedule it. You know, we've had people right. um, who have been uh, in wheelchairs and stuff that were able to roll up, but it wasn't on the schedule, so it wasn't there. Uh, but Gene said, oh, no problem. Stands up walks up on stage, sits Oof. down in the stool, and I'm just envisioning this brand new hip oh. in a 91-year-old guy. And I'm like, I, I can't even imagine that. And You know what? To be 91, number one, I mean, think, think of this. He's in Finland. He's 91. He breaks his hip. For a lesser person, they probably wouldn't even make it back. No. They wouldn't even made it through the surgery. Right, and and don't forget, he was there chopping a top on a on a custom at a at a car show. (laughs) So, so not only does he break his hip and he he makes it through surgery, flies back to the United States, and is at SEMA less than a month later. Right. That that's that's ridiculous. Right, and and he says in the interview that uh, in up until that point of 2018, he had chopped 17 tops that year. And That's was crazy. was working on building a Riddler car for this year's show, you know, at, at 91 years old. And it's like, man, you know, if, man. You're, if you ever want to feel useless, hang out with that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, what the heck am I doing with my life, man? Right, yeah. Holy cow. So he's definitely been a huge inspiration and, and just a, a great guy. So, yeah, I'm glad you brought that interview up. And 
in fact, just today, I had contacted our friends at SEMA and I said, hey guys, I know this is your video, but is there any way that I can get a, a clean copy of it that, that we can share to our VATV audiences um, mm. and have a little more control over the presentation instead of just sharing a link, you know, because the link doesn't look that great. But if we upload it, it can be the actual video that plays on social and whatnot. And uh, they said, sure, absolutely. So uh, an hour later, I had it and it's up on our channel and um, oh, very cool uh, on YouTube. And, and it was funny. Uh, they had it up, SEMA had it up for two weeks and, and within, I don't know, three hours we had more plays than they did. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's That's why they have you do this stuff. <laughs> well, you are Mr. SEMA. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, it wasn't like it was a million plays, but at least our, right. our people know who he is and, and uh, yeah. are, are saying some very kind things in the comments. So it's cool. Very cool. That is cool, <clears throat> man. He's a cool guy. Yeah, we'll see yeah. if, I don't know, I haven't heard if he got his Riddler car together because he's got till basically next week for the uh, Detroit Autorama, so. Yeah, oof. Oh, boy. And then there's that big show coming up, too, so we'll have our post-Autorama follow-up show, no doubt, if we remember. Yeah, we'll talk about it. <laughs> all, right. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right, so... It's eating away at me. I got to know the trivia question answers. Okay. All right. Yeah, it's about that time anyway. All right. So, Kevin, I asked you, uh, what was special about Mac McKellar's 1963 Grand Prix? And uh, unfortunately, it wasn't a turbocharged car, but it did have in it the only running prototype of a Pontiac overhead cam V8. Ah, see? See, I got it wrong, but I was kind of in the ballpark. It was. It had to do with the engine. You're right. You're right. Yeah. But well, yeah, he, uh, John DeLorean, wanted those. Wanted to develop that, and he said, "Make it happen, McKellar." So he did. But then Pontiac said, "You know what? Pushrod V8s are fine. We don't need to do this overhead cam nonsense." So that engine. I'm, plug on that. I'm guessing it still exists. It does still exist, yeah. I don't know who owns it. I don't know where it is. Uh. I'm sure... It's, I bet Frank knows. <laughs> <laughs> well, well that... you know what? Maybe Mo knows now, too. <laughs> yeah, your buddy Mo Zerlini that, uh, that listens Got to the some... show. So it was funny. I, I told Mo that um, you liked his GTO. He actually listened to the show, and then he sent me a text Saying you could tell Mike he can drive my GTO whenever he wants. So good you know for what you. I, I have I have uh, <clears throat> proof of that now, Mo. We might <laughs> just hold you to that. Yeah, yeah, uh, cool car, and it's going to be more fun with that five speed. So oh man, is it? Yeah. Ooh, I can really get that sideways. <laughs> <laughs> Careful, he's listening. <laughs> All righty, well. Uh, Shucks. But you know what? We need to find that thing. I, I think that would be a great uh, uh, Muscle Car Corvette Nationals display car. Uh, yeah. Overhead. That would be. Cam V8 Pontiac. Oof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. We'll, we'll sick Mr. Ashton on that one. So. Yeah. All right. So my question to you is, in what year was uh, cruise control offered first and on what car? Mm. And you said, well, it's not GM because they don't do anything <laughs> first. But it was Cadillac. <laughs> you know, sometimes, Kevin, my mouth opens. I don't know what the hell's going to come out. Oh, no, that's based a career on As that, is evidenced so. by many V8 radio performances. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you said 1947. The, the, the correct sure. answer 
were the 1958 models Ooh. of the Chrysler Imperial, ah. Chrysler New Yorker, and the Chrysler Windsor. Ooh, so, nice cars. Nice cars, and you were correct. GM did not do it first. Did not do it first. How about that? How about that? So oh. the, uh, the early names were uh, called Speedostat on the, on the Chrysler. <laughs> Is that right? Uh, well, actually, Speedostat was not the Chrysler. There was a Speedostat, there was a Touchomatic, an Autopilot, mm. and Chrysler was the name that actually came up with Cruise Control. Is that right? Uh, but the neat thing about that is it was invented uh, by a gentleman um, whose name uh, I have written down here, um, Ralph Teeter. And Mr. Teeter was actually blind. Is that right? Yeah, he was an engineer, and he came up with this uh, as a passenger in a car. And the guy driving the car had this habit, when he would talk, he would get off the gas. And then when he would stop talking, he'd speed up again. And maybe Ralph Teeter, you know, being more sensitive to motion, not being able to see, maybe this affected mm. him a little bit more. So, so he came up with this concept and, uh, and invented it. And uh, Teeter went on to be the, uh, the president of uh, Perfect Circle Piston Rings. Uh, Is that right? Yeah, he was... Uh, uh, the head of the Society of Automotive Engineers in the 30s and is in the Automotive Hall of Fame and, and the whole thing. A brilliant, brilliant guy. Um, but huh. uh, cruise control invented by a blind guy. How about that? That's Yeah. I would have not have guessed that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I did not guess that. Correct. You did not guess <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> oh, gee whiz. Yeah. That was a good question. I enjoyed that one. That was, that was pretty slick. Yeah, now I'm intrigued to go look up that Pontiac. So, hey, we're both yeah. um, energized. What what was the show? What was the adjective? I, uh... um, apotheosizing. That's it. I'm apotheosized. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> All right. <laughs> I think you had too much old style. I might have. <laughs> <laughs> fully, Ooh, fully, I'm apotheosized. Fully croisoned and naturally apotheosized. I'm fully croisoned and fully apotheosized. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right on. <laughs> All right, my friend. Well, this again was uh, another fun one. And uh, to our listeners, you know, thanks if you if you hung in it this long. We uh, <laughs> appreciate you staying with us on our uh, our journey off the beaten path into World War II and wherever the heck we ended up. Um, not a typical episode, but um, I thought it was interesting. Yeah, for sure. And uh, if you want to hear more of them, please go ahead and subscribe. Hit that uh, Apple Podcast or iTunes subscription button. Uh, of course, you can always hear us on Stitcher Radio, on uh, TuneIn Radio, on Google Play, on uh, uh, Playa, which is another uh, podcast aggregator, kind of cool. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, uh, uh, v8radio.com and, uh, and the Facebook page as well. And uh, I guess we will uh, see you next time with another as yet to be uh, overselling, adjectively described episode. <laughs> <laughs> of VA Radio. (laughs) So I'm Kevin Oste. Keep the shiny side up, greasy side down, and uh, we'll talk to you next time.